You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. This week on the Dirty Feet podcast, we're going to be talking to a pair of artists who are producing uh, their own work at Studio 303 here in Montreal this week. We're going to be speaking with Michaela Jerusi and Aaron Hill. Uh, so hi, ladies. How are you? Good. I'm good. Super. Uh, so the, the shows, it's a double bill. Uh, we've got Resonant Tide which is primarily a work by Michaela and uh, Emily LeBlanc, a collaboration. Mm -hmm. And the second work in the evening is The Radio Project, which is Aaron Hill's work. And you're working in collaboration with a couple of performers as well, including Michaela. Yeah, Michaela Drusi and Tracy Valcarcel Rodriguez. Perfect. Are you also in your own work? I am. Oh. I More am. to be said about that later, I guess. Yeah, maybe. This is the same hesitation that it comes when we're talking about, is this a dance piece? It is. <laughs> or is this a surprise? I think it's a surprise. Okay, so let's skip that for now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so perfect. So let's talk about, um, you, you know, okay, so you're, you're recent graduates from Concordia University. Is this kind of the biggest uh, independent project you've put on since, uh, since your release from school? I would say so. Um, especially in the sense that we're self-producing it. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of time and energy put into just the logistics of, of something like this. Um, whereas, you know, I think we've participated in some sort of larger showcases. But, uh, yeah, this is, we're sort of taking it on ourselves and responsible for all the aspects of it. So that feels pretty big. Yeah, I think this is what I was really excited about was I received a Jeune Volontaire grant to produce radio show or to research, oh, not radio show, radio project. And uh, I was really excited to receive that grant to be able to pay the people that I'm working with and seeing that as like a big professional step. That's mm -hmm. a rare luxury in dance sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. One more note on the logistical side of things is that you've carefully timed this piece because uh, we're well aware that the FTA is in uh, is in full swing. So you've <laughs> chosen a, a schedule that should allow for the hardcore FTA patrons to also attend. That's right. Yes, it's at 6 p.m. So if you need to be somewhere over in the plateau by 8 o'clock, we figure you can make it. The show's uh, roughly an hour, maybe a little bit over. But um, yeah, we've sort of timed it so you can go to something earlier in the afternoon and later at night and still come to our show. When it comes to um, to that, to well, to the the plan, I would guess timing with the FTA. Um, have you been contacting producers from out of town, uh, producers from the FTA? Also, have you been contacting maybe artists or performing as part of the FTA to sort of reach out in advance? We have been, we've talked a lot about it and we've started that sort of promotion press release train. Um, it's not evident. It's, it's, it's a hard thing. It's almost as much work as like producing the show. And um, yeah, but we've both written press releases and we're, yeah, we're sending them out. It would be super exciting if people wanted to come and review the show and seeing different faces than those we expect to see. And should we expect to see you guys at the FTA uh, Quartier Central to like spread the word like in person to the artists and promoters there? 
Yes. Yeah. Why not? Because with with something like such as DFT, which is very much um, a system uh, at this point, I would guess, and I, I'm not dissing DFT. I'm just saying that it has become a big machine. Um, whereas what you're doing is much more the Montreal way of self-producing, of of you know going from the ground up rather than just being established and having something that's going to bring in pretty much the same audience every year. Um, through that, I wouldn't say ordeal, but through those challenges of self-producing a show, where do you think that as artists it's taken you? Because it, it's a completely different route than if you're just being invited by a producer. Uh, you, you needed to really grasp uh, your opportunity, create it yourselves, actually. Would you feel that as artists it's taken you to a new place, this this whole process? Well, yeah, I just want to talk about this, what you were saying about the FTA and how, yeah, it's a machine. And, um, like, we're sort of attaching ourselves to 303, which in itself is on kind of a different level than the mm -hmm. FTA. So, um, yeah, we've been speaking to them about, uh, you know, their press and, and promoters' contacts, but they're sort of saying, you know, we're on we're on another level. Um, it's, yeah, 303 is doing sort of independent artists and... Um, little bit more experimental stuff so already we're kind of like okay yeah we're we're doing sort of a more local or or uh, less big budget mainstream kind of thing yeah the like the the people that we're we are gonna contact with our press release and in inviting them to see our show would definitely be more around the off ta than the fta probably like that list of presenters mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think our work is falls. I mean, we're talking about the difficulty of categorizing. It definitely falls under a different category, mm -hmm. and that's exciting. I think um, it it feels good to be self producing the show, be based on that, um, so we can really sort of define what kind of atmosphere we want to have at our show, how we're. Uh, yeah, how we're sort of presenting the work that we're we're interested in right now, rather than um, yeah, feeling like we need to please make, an audience, please an audience, or or yeah, fit into you know uh, a big company who's got their own um, you know imperatives around what they want to present. Yeah, the the format of of presentation has been up for discussion as well. Like, mm -hmm. could we have a little halftime show? During the talk back, what will be served? Alcohol or popcorn or both? Like being, having, no, not luxury, but having the opportunity to ask ourselves these questions and decide how we want to orchestrate this event. It's really nice. Lots of freedom there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the pressure also of um, complying with what seems like... Um, like cultural standards or like Montreal standards inside the dance scene. I, I usually wouldn't have thought, oh, yes, I should invite presenters. I should make a press release. But it's a really, I think it's a valuable practice to, to attempt that and see what kind of response you get and not just do that, but and also remain free and mm -hmm. talk about how do I want to present this work. So like go on both levels and see what the response is. Finding sort of the, the reality of the market that yeah. is the dance community, but while staying authentic is what you're seeing a bit? Yeah, I think that's what, yeah. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. Talking about content now, Resonant Tide, from what I understand, Michaela, this is this is a project you've been working on for a while. We've seen snippets of it presented by Abouj DC in different contexts, where it's uh, very much um, you, and, you and Emily are doing a bit of a line dance, and it's all about w- shifting of weight and kind of uh, almost a mesmerizing pattern. That's right, yep. Uh, so we... We used to live in NDG, Emily and I, and we went to the Wheel Club a lot, mm-hmm. which if you're not familiar with the Wheel Club, it's a, it's actually a dart club um, that a lot of sort of older people go to during the week. And then once a week, they open it up to the public. So there's a lot of young people that come and it's kind of like an open mic um, for hillbilly, hillbilly music is what they call it. And there's these older women who do line dancing. So um, we were pretty taken with that and it was... Um, it was really beautiful to see the way they could take these just really simple moves, but they were really comfortable in them. And uh, to watch to watch people do movement in muni- in unison, um, I, I think there's like there's like kind of a taboo around it in contemporary dance right now. But we we sort of like dove into it, and uh, we found it a really a really nice place to find subtlety and difference and similarity and. Um, this sort of resonance um, idea is like when we when we can sync up. There's there's something special that's happening when when you're watching something over a long period of time that's repetitive, that is sort of yeah unsyncing and then syncing up, and then you know unsyncing again. Um, so it's it's uh, yeah we're sort of doing this long long format of patterns and repetition and uh it's been a really really rich and simple sort of study that now we're we're kind of coming to a really comfortable place with it is there a development within within the the length of the work like yeah it's it's getting longer um and it's also i mean like anything it's sort of clarifying itself in a way we're sort of starting to understand it more and more and uh I remember the first time we did it, it was a little bit more sort of like poppy line dancing and we, we were using like pop music and having more um, complex and sort of standard line dancing steps. But the movement itself has sort of become simpler and simpler and and more refined um, and our, our interactions together are becoming smoother and um, yeah, just, just more subtle, more nuanced. Through this work, um, in in the, the those margins of of being uh, on time together, like mm. through those 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 half missteps, uh, those moments where you thought you're in sync but you're in treaty, um, have you and Emily sort of developed a new understanding of your personal relationship through through that that effort of trying to find. Um, uh, this moment together, did you figure out something more deeper about about each other? Is what I'm trying to say, I guess. I would say yes. Um, and, and even more so, we have maybe changed our relationship to um, like having that goal in front of an audience to be together. Um, I think the transparency is, is pretty important. So whereas, I don't know, maybe... 10 years ago, if I was the kind of unison dance I was doing, it was really a goal to be together and to have it 
as smooth as possible. And I remember in dance school a lot, people saying, well, you have to either be together or not together and make a choice about it. And it's still something we hear sometimes when we get feedback from people. But at this point, we're more interested in um, being okay with those, those times when we're together and not together. And it's kind of the point. So it's like taking away and, and getting to something simpler. Um, and, and yeah, really feeling between each other when we're together, when we're not together, and, and being okay with that ebb and flow. So in a way, it's a redefinition of this notion of synchronicity. In, in terms of our understanding of, of um, yeah, something that's, that's well done in dance, quote, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I would say that that is accurate. With the podcast, we tend to cover uh, Gigue Contemporaine quite frequently, kind of the, the Quebecois traditional line dancing. Um, you know, the, the Biennale comes by every, every couple of years with, with Tangent presenting different contemporary line dancers um, from Quebec. Is there a relationship there at all uh, with your work and, and, and any inspiration taken from Quebec line dancing? Or um, I have to say I'm not very familiar with Quebec line dancing. I do a lot of contra dancing, but I don't think um, it's the same. It's New England. I think part of this sort of simplicity, going back to something simple and and repetitive and clear, um, we we see we see real like potential in that um, in that simplicity and that nuance applied to contemporary dance. I saw your piece last summer in June at Earth Dance during Nomadic College. I remember one of the, um, the, the like shapes that your research was taking was to invite um, people to come and learn it. Mm. And so like really remain inside this line dance being accessible, being very simple, in unison, together. You often like change um, direction so that you go to all four so everyone gets to be a leader at one point and like this listening and and I know that that's not that hasn't remained this physical like okay come up and dance with us isn't necessarily part of it now but it sounds like that those values or principles are still in your work as it develops yeah definitely for sure yeah thank you yeah <laughs> And then, uh, Aaron, this is a pretty appropriate uh, format for talking about your work, the uh, radio project. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, it's very much uh, inspired by electromagnetic frequencies and kind of this, w which would be pretty much a, cons a constant in, in, in our lives these days, you know, in course, close quarters with lots of uh, technology around. Do you want to just tell us about this, this inspiration that's yeah. buzzing in your room? <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was in Norway actually when I was on this like an exchange student exchange, and I started feeling pretty nauseous and hearing this buzzing in my room. And then I was freaking out a bit, <laughs> and I started looking up this phenomenon and finding all these people that were talking about um, like electromagnetic frequencies being audible to them or this feeling of becoming nauseous or feeling like you were burning from the inside or like all these uh, symptoms that are part of this thing called electromagnetic hypersensitivity. And I, 
I don't have electromagnetic hypersensitivity and I also don't know that much about it, but I think I was just homesick. But this, um, this experience of, of realizing, wow, like when I plug my cell phone into the wall, when I charge my laptop, when I turn on a light, these, these electromagnetic waves are, are physically around me. And although I can't see them, like they're invisible, they're there. And as we introduce more and more technology into our lives, um, then there's more and more of these electromagnetic waves. And what is that doing to me as a physical being? Um, so that's where the that's where the interest stemmed from. And then, how does that translate into choreographic work or, or work with your with your bodies and your dancers? That's the that's the big question. That's the research. Um, well, we started just by having radios, many, many radios, and uh, tape recorders attached to FM transmitters, so you can create a feedback loop. I'm telling you all the secrets of the show right now. <laughs> it's okay. You probably won't get it anyways until you see it. And then it creates like a feedback loop as if, if you bring your microphone too close to the speaker. Mm. Like, like really beautiful, creepy, ghostly sounds. And uh, for me, that's like rendering the invisible visible and bodies, like human bodies, feel like that's the most appropriate medium to experience this work. Like as, as a dance show, it seems very appropriate because the question for me is, how is my body similar to that of a, the electrical circuit of a radio? Because I am a kind of electrical circuit. Um, these are like unanswerable questions, so it's really just an exploration. Uh, but part of this uh, research has brought me to like develop an actual radio show, and that's an amazing type of performance as well, like right now. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like radio show come contemporary dance performance come ex sound art exploration. One thing that the um that I'm thinking about hearing you discuss that is right now in Quebec there's a, a big thing about um, smart counters or whatever for hydroelectricity um, and you know basically one of the things is that this is an imposition on people and the the effects long term the health effects uh, of those are still sort of unknown and when it comes to technology, when it comes to radio waves and all of that, it is very much imposed on us. It's not something that we could ever protect ourselves. We cannot say, oh, well, I decide not to have that as part of my life. We can decide what we want to eat. We can decide what we want to drink and put in our bodies that way. But electric stuff and radio waves and all of that, there's no way to really defend ourselves from that. Is this something that was going through your mind, this, this sort of imposition on something, onto bodies, this um, something that you cannot actually defend yourself against? Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, I'm, not, like, I'm not a scientist, so I've been trying to negotiate how I can talk about this, but just from a personal, um, I am part of this community, I am a citizen of the world, whatever. Like, it does, it really scares me, actually. Like we talk about sound pollution, and this is something we can address because we hear it. But like these are invisible parts of our environment, but they're omnipresent, and they're really like ghosts hanging out until you have a device that's going to pick them up. 
but it, if you're not picking them up, they're still there. And, um, yeah, I didn't really look into the policies in Quebec, but I know all about these hydro counters. Um, but I did, st well, actually, Michaela was the one who showed me this. What was, where was the hum from? What was that? Uh, it was a podcast. On? Um, Stupid podcast. <laughs> it was another podcast. I'm going to talk about it on your podcast. It's called Stuff You Should Know. Um, mm -hmm. They talked about the hum. The hum, yeah. Which is extremely low frequencies or very low frequencies, which are, at, I'm going to get wrong, but like radio waves are at like 10 to the power of 8 hertz and extremely low frequencies are like 10 hertz. They're really, really low and they can travel very, 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 very far. And um, people were hearing, people hear a hum and it drives them insane and they can't sleep. And they're like, this is a, this is a thing. And, and, but because it's, you can't really measure it, it becomes very difficult for something like the World Health Organization to claim it as a, as a, as a condition or as a, a health issue or, because it's, you can't measure it. But people, people are only like canaries in the coal mine of this effect. And these people who do hear the hum or do have electromagnetic hypersensitivity are like, you guys better watch out because we're the first ones who are feeling this, but soon we're all going to feel this. So that Heed the warning signs kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, but, and then at the same time, technology is so cool. It's so much fun. And playing with these radios, that's something that I think we've realized is that it's just infinite what you can do. So there's this, this like health question and there's this amazing science exploration creative side it's like how do those match is it there's also a notion of consent in there that that ethically is is problematic yeah. uh because yeah sure it makes our lives easier and everything but as i said it's imposed it's not something that we have any choice is this something that as part of your piece because in, in your piece you're actually choosing to to push that electro electromagnetic um element up to to another level with with all of those radios uh, connected together it, is that mentioned at all like the, the consent of the artist being uh, affected in such a way by like the, the performers being affected in such a way by by the electromagnetic field around them the issue of consent mm-hmm well, just what you're what you're saying is making me feel like um as as someone working with the piece and and as we started to to explore these these sounds and basically um discovering these waves and being able to sort of understand them on a more physical level it uh it's it's really fascinating it feels like I'm having some kind of agency in that in the process of at least discovering the waves and being able to, like Aaron says, make them visible in a certain way and, and see them myself. So I don't know if it's, I don't feel like there's so much I can do in terms of um, taking more control over how, what, what's around me in terms of this electromagnetic um, waves, but at least understanding it more in a different way. And not just using the technology that I use in my daily life, but um, yeah, understanding 
what's around me by, by being able to make it visible or make it, um, hearable and readable in my body when I'm trying to, um, interpret that or, or, or play with it and interact with it. There's other people also who've helped you out throughout that process, right? Uh, other than the, the performers and the other artists you've been working at. Uh, in your case, Aaron, you said that it was a Jean Volontaire project, but you mentioned to me that uh, there was a, a teacher that you had at Concordia that mentored you throughout the process. Could you tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah, um, Kelly Keenan has been my lovely, lovely mentor, and it still is. Um, and yeah, that's that's great. Just like to do a call it like a thank you to her. Um, just being able to talk to someone who has who is part of this scene and has been part of the scene for a while, has seen it developed, sees where it's going, has insights. Yeah. She's come to rehearsal a couple times with her beautiful dog Bella. Mm-hmm. And that's great. <laughs> And for you, you also worked with uh, someone else also during your process, right? Yes. Um, Emily and I have been working, uh, I guess, since the beginning with John Jacob Courtney. Um, he was organizing an event actually in last fall, and he sort of invited us to do something. So that's where it all started. And then later on, he um, we brought him on board to do live sound with us. So um, it's a duet between Emily and I, but he's also pretty involved in that sort of present creating of of the work um and he's yeah been really great to work with as um sort of an outside eye but someone who's also really in the space and time with this as we're doing it so wonderful thank you so much for joining us today we've been speaking with aaron hill and michaela jerusi and uh, you can catch their work resonant tide and the radio project uh on may 30th at six o'clock and it'll be at studio 303 here in montreal Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The 25th anniversary of the St. Amboise Montreal Fringe Festival runs from June 1st to the 21st, 2015. The shows take place in multiple venues in Montreal's Plateau Mile End neighborhood. You can get full programming at montrealfringe.ca. There are plenty of dance shows, seven to be exact, plus a bunch of movement influence in, uh, in other multidisciplinary works as well. We hope to see you there. Dirty Feet was previously recorded at the Montreal Improv Theatre and is currently recorded out of Mainline Theatre. Thanks, dudes. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par... Produced and hosted by Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com, follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet, and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou... Vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.